0: Episode 2, Meet the Beatles.
1: The Beatles come to America. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Welcome to the Beatles Come to America podcast. I am your host, Tom Galker, along with the Beatle guru, Brooke Hopin. Today, we are talking about the iconic album, Meet the Beatles. It was released on January 20, 1964. It is the first release on Capitol, and it's just 14 days, two weeks, after introducing the Beatles. Get your record cleaner out. We are about to have a vinyl explosion. Before we get into the interview, we got some housekeeping notes. I have a podcast called Something Came From Baltimore, and it's not really about Baltimore. Please subscribe, and the link is below. The Beatles uh, guru, Brooke Halperin, is all-knowing when it comes to the Beatles. He sweats that Beatle DNA. Follow him on his Facebook page, Come Together with the Beatles and Brooke Halperin. That link is also listed below. We also have a Facebook page for this show. We're asking you to rank your favorite U.S. albums from best to worst. And trust me, it is a lot harder than you think. We also are a DIY low-tech uh, production. We're both in our living rooms. The We're not in a studio. So you're going to get some pops and hisses. We apologize. Or we want you to use your imagination and just assume that you are listening to some really nice, scratchy records. So let's get into it. It is The Beatles Come to America, Episode 2, Meet the Beatles. I thought this album was kind of corny, and I thought it was a little dated and i think it's because of 50 years of merchandising and seeing the wigs and the the cartoon characters and them at at sullivan i, I really felt that this album was just the kind of an average album you know i came in with that kind of headset when we did this first interview and i think if you saw my rankings i always ranked it kind of in the lower third by going through this whole process for the whole year and looking at each song and listening to the songs and listening to you talk about them and your passion for this album I've totally changed this you know this album is is the bullet and the gun for the change of music in the whole world so it's not like it may sound a little dated like musically but the importance level is equally as important as say like the velvet underground and nico or the doors or or uh, other artists that had amazing, you know, debut album. This is this is it. This is this is a big deal.
2: hugely significant. Yeah. In terms of, as you just said, I the think... change that they brought with this album, everything changed with this album. The whole music industry changed with these songs. So yes, when you put it in that context, not listening to it today necessarily, but knowing what it did when it was released. And it was a combination, by the way, the perfect combination of three things that occurred simultaneously. The album was released January 20th, 1964. Radio stations played Beatles songs constantly. And then the third element, was them then appearing live on The Ed Sullivan Show. It's impossible for me to listen to this album and even look at the album cover and not associate all of those things that occurred because they all occurred at the same time. So it was a powerful, powerful combination, obviously, that created Beatlemania in the U.S
0: the super energy on this album. This album is like a freight train going hundred percent the whole way through. I guess you would take that for granted now, but no one sounded like this. And it, no one had this this type of energy. You open my eyes and I'm hoping that people who go through and listen to this, you know, the 20 episodes that we're unfolding that their eyes will be reopened. You know, I love the Beatles and I look poorly on this album but now i completely changed because uh, you helped me. You helped me through. <laughs> so what we normally do is when we talk about this is we we talk about two things uh, the your uh your view on the album cover and then also your experience when you got it.
2: Yes. Well, it was very appropriately titled because this is how i along with millions of other teenagers, met the Beatles. Truly, this is how we met the Beatles. It was Meet the Beatles, and we did meet them. And when we listened to these songs, it was sounds that we had never heard before. The energy level, the musicianship, the vocals, the accents that come through every now and then, especially George on with "Don't bother me," and when I look at the album as I'm looking at it now, the no one looked like this <laughs> in in January, late January, early February, 1964. Nobody had haircuts like this. Nobody. So we're looking. I'm looking at this thing back then. And it was shocking. This was a, this was revolutionary. It's like, who are these guys? Nobody looks like them and nobody sounds like them. And of course, Capitol says the first album by England's Phenomenal Pop Combo. That's not true. We know that because we did Introducing the Beatles, which was released before this album was released. But we'll let that slide. Okay, we'll let that slide. So at that time, as I said, it was hearing the album and then hearing the songs on the radio that I heard on it, that I listened to on the album. And then the big payoff, of course, was then seeing them perform some of the songs that are on this album on the Ed Sullivan Show. It was overwhelming. I mean, my God. They just completely came, and from a marketing perspective, it was it was genius the way that these three elements all worked worked together. Absolutely, and and when I look at the album now, it's I get that same kind of feeling, the excitement, completely excited about hearing it and then seeing them perform on television. And I'm hearing them constantly on the radio. That's all there was back then February nineteen sixty four that was it it was It was the world the Beatles had come in, and they were our world. They were my world. That's all I really wanted to listen to and care about. so powerful and this is also the this is a love song album. These are songs about love and these are dance songs and what do kids want to do they want to, they want they want as much love as they can they want to find out what love is they're infatuated with a the girl they want to dance with her but they didn't don't know quite what to do and you know i saw her standing there because i used to go to record hops so this tied into the whole dance element the love element and it completely worked because that's how we met girls back then.
0: We had talked about the album cover being more of possibly a collage instead of a photo, just the way that the heads are set up.
2: It's very unusual. the album cover they're not happy by the way. you think that they would be on smiling their faces off because now they're i want to hold your hand is number one in the United States <laughs> you know, and they're but they look rather solemn and serious and so i i don't get that even to this very day but back then i just it didn't matter because it was the beatles with a new look and i suppose we all thought that they were just being cool it is a cool look complete with a a sort of a, a blue tint so it is a cool
0: look strange it does have a spooky vibe to it and and you turn it around and there's just a picture of them on the corner, and you know they're happy. They're, they're very, happy. They're, they're ecstatic, but also they're very professional looking. So it's a, it, I I always feel that they had to appeal to the parents that were buying the records, so they look clean cut and organized. I think that they came off you know, very professional, very polished by Brian Epstein.
2: Oh, absolutely. Brian's all over this photograph, and of course Robert Freeman did the cover photo. But this back photo, there they are, and, and they are happy.
0: Okay, so we go right into the album. The first song is, we talked about a bullet from a gun. There couldn't be anything more expressive than I Want to Hold Your Hand, which was number one um, for seven weeks. It sold over a million copies in advance. And it probably, besides Hey Jude, the, um, the second all-time selling single of of all time. I like this song. I think it's amazing. The B-side was I Saw Her Stand There, and we had a conversation before about why that's not considered a double A-side. To me, both of those songs were were played on heavy rotation. So, Let's get into the song. What was your um, thoughts about this song?
2: This is a guitar song. (laughs) The, The Beatles, on this album, by the way, on every track, it's John Rhythm guitar, George Harrison lead guitar, Paul McCartney bass, Ringo Drums. Every song. Now there's some addition where Paul overdubbed the piano, but for the most part that was the, what they was the lineup. That's what they did. So that was the sound of the Beatles. You could say that the sound of the Beatles is encapsulated in I Wanna Hold Your Hand. This is the sound of this new band that we were experiencing. I want to hold your hand was a message to all the girls out there. The Beatles were saying, I want to hold your hand. And in the mind of the girls, the girl fans back then, they would go crazy because they would imagine that the Beatles wanted to hold their hand. And I'm not exaggerating. This is what was going on. And then the other way, if you look at it from a male perspective, I, along with my other male friends, we wanted to hold the girls that we knew that we wanted to be with, we wanted to hold their hand. So the song spoke to both male and female teenagers, which is absolutely brilliant. When you think about what I just said, it is so positive that they actually say, And when I touch you, I feel happy inside.
1: And when
2: I touch you, I feel happy inside. Oh my God. I mean, for a teenager to hear that lyric, that's that's very exciting. (laughs) That's very exciting stuff. Because when you're young and you're looking for that, to be with the girl that you're interested in being with and you have your eyes on, and then you hear a line like that, and then they they peek out on the word, I can't hide, I can't hide, I can't hide. I can't hide, I can't hide, I can't
0: hide. Can hide. I thought they said... Uh, I get high, I get high, I get high. I, not, I can't hide, I can't hide, I can't hide. I thought I get high was really like revolutionary to say in 1964, but it's the word hide, which is a crack-up. I got that wrong.
2: Well, you and Bob Dylan thought it was I get high because when Dylan turned the Beatles on to marijuana in August of either August or September of '64. Um Beatles had not smoked marijuana at that point. And Dylan says, well, I'm surprised because you said in, in your song, I get high, I get high. And they said, no, 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 it's not I like get high. It's I can't hide. <laughs> so you and Dylan uh, are in the same camp when it comes to
0: these lyrics. How about that?
2: And then to top it off. They end it with a boom, 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 which is a triplet ending, which is very dramatic. I want to hold your hand.
0: And you already went through an amazing song and you follow it up with just what I consider a powerhouse to go along with it which is I Saw Her Stand There. I consider it like a a blues rock song, like an old blues guy. Uh, I Saw Her Stand There, even though it doesn't really sound like an old blues song. This didn't chart that well, just because there were so many Beatles songs that were just kind of flooding the market. Hit number 53, which I think is insane. To me, this is the number one hit.
2: This song, again, the energy, and it's about puppy love, it's about innocence. It's about young love. It's about the record hops that I mentioned that were going on. Every weekend it was a record hop, it seemed. And I saw, i literally, I would see her. I would see a girl, and she would be standing there. And I wanted to dance with her. So it was like these songs were written it's as if they were written for us. That's the way we were taking the lyrics. By the way, the working title was 17. I'm glad that they switched it over to I Saw Her Standing There, much, much better title. The bass line is, is incredible on this track. When you just focus in on McCartney's bass line, oh my God. <laughs> Incredible what he's doing with the bass. And then the hand claps, they're all clapping. And, and you know, that was popular at that time. And Beatles did a lot of hand clapping on this LP. But it works. It works. The clapping is, is really, it works right in with the whole mood of the song, really. It's a dance song. Are you kidding? It's a flat-out dance song. And that's what we did. We all danced. To this song, the the lead guitar solo, George's is just, is pretty much drenched in reverb, which at that time you know, was appropriate and was exciting when he came in with that great guitar solo. <laughs> And then you got Paul and John, you know, doing the harmony on the bridge and the chorus, uh, which which was nice, too. So, yeah, this could have easily been in Hayside. No, no argument, no question about it. Very, very much so.
0: It goes into the next song, which is This Boy. What's your thoughts on this one?
2: Well, this is written by John. The harmonies, the three-part vocal harmonies, John, Paul, and George are... are Breathtakingly beautiful. They're just sublime. They take you right in. When John sings on the bridge I'm you I will be happy. Till I see you cry. They knew when to go high. They knew what what words. They were brilliant about this. What when they should go up in terms of range up to the higher notes in their vocal range on certain words. And what a perfect word to go high on the word cry. And when he did this, when you watch old footage, if you this you see any footage of them performing this song, the girls went crazy. When he did that, you know, because it was again the dynamic range of this. Because the song is pretty much a quiet song, except for the bridge. It's a masterpiece. It's one of my actually all-time favorite pieces of songs.
0: Yeah, people forget it's also Ringo's theme for the Hard Days Night. So they turn around and use the instrumentation of this song. Always be remembered in a real positive way because it was kind of a showstopper in that movie.
2: That was an arrangement that George Martin did with an orchestra, yeah, and it worked beautiful. perfectly.
0: I think people forget how great it is.
2: Yeah, it's a great slow dance song as well. So this is the kind of song you want to get close to your girlfriend with on that dance floor. It won't be long, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It won't be long, yeah. Okay, so this is Manic and Mania with a con response between John and Paul with a It Won't Be Long. Fantastic. Awesome.
2: It won't be long, yeah, 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 yeah. So what they did was, and by the way, for the most part, John wrote this song. So they were still using the yeah, yeah idea, obviously from She Loves You, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. It's interesting how lyrically they would take a theme and apply the same lyrics to different songs. One of the things that I love about this is that George's low? It's on the low strings. So what it is? It's a recurring riff that he plays, uh, which is a, which is part of the hook, and it sounds so great. So that guitar part is a, is a, an integral part of this song. It won't be long, and John. Being someone who likes to play with words, it won't be long till I belong to you. So we have two meanings, right? It won't be long. In other words, it's not going to take that long, that much time, until I belong when we're together, when I belong to you very very clever as a lyricist and I don't know how many people pick up on that but that's what's going on here with these lyrics it's a very exciting song and the song completely belongs on this album it's another dance song by the way
0: the next song is All I Gotta Do it's a John song and it was I guess or motivated by Smokey Robinson's You Can Depend On Me you can- And one thing I think it's interesting is when you talk about the Beatles and the Stones, uh, the Beatles use references, or most of them, from like, say, the Motown or the the roots of like Carl Perkins and, and Chuck Berry, the roots artists. They're artists that had had chart success, more or less. And where the Stones, they went really with the blues, like the Muddy Waters. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. So, oh, yeah. So it was harder to digest, I think, because they weren't... Traditionally, like, top 40 singles that, that the modern America was aware of. I think in time, people got to figure out who the Rolling Stones were. So when you have, like, beloved artists that kind of had chart success and the Beatles take and modify and, and put their own spin on it, I think that was more of a, a successful ingredient. I, I mean, now looking back on it, you could say, oh, wow, the Beatles kind of focused on these artists that, that already had popular success and that helped them, but it's Beatlemania, so there's no question about it. But it's interesting that a lot of the references are Motown.
2: Yeah, well, they've obviously they were listening to the singles that were coming into Liverpool on the ships because the ships would go to the U.S., and then some of the crew or the or the people who worked on the ships or what have you would bring these records into Liverpool. That's how the Beatles heard these R&B songs. And songs by Chuck Berry. You know, there was there was not much radio going on except for Radio Luxembourg, but it was like, I think, only for an hour or something. And, and the BBC didn't play rock and roll. So that's how they were fed and, and inspired the Beatles. And then they took songs from America or the style of the songs, and they made them their own. They made them their own so much, Tom, that when they wrote their own material that was quote unquote influenced by Smokey Robinson or other artists in the United States. We didn't know that at the time. I had no idea. These were just new songs that were coming from these four guys from England. I didn't I didn't listen to this song and go, oh yeah, that's John trying to sound like Smokey Robinson. You know? no, I, I don't know of anyone who would have thought that in
0: 1964. Well, also, you know, think about it. Brian Epstein is a hero. He would be one to me. Anyone that runs a record store, and if you're a music fan, I can only tell you how many hours I spent in record stores. The fact that he had this available, they had the ability to you know be exposed to music that they just were never exposed to. They feel you feel lucky when you're turned on to stuff that other people have never been able to get a hold of. And they had that ability in Liverpool because of the record store.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, Brian was the perfect perfect person for the Beatles. Absolutely. Now, he was a businessman first. Above everything else, he obviously ran the record shop. So he was a, he was a really uh, experienced businessman, yeah, and in the record selling business. But then, of course, when he got hold of the Beatles, then he became more versed in the recording world of music. And as we know, it wasn't until he met George Martin when everything changed.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's get into "All I Got to Do." Uh, we went a little. bit. Okay, off.
2: yeah. All I've got to do, I think it's to 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 date. Now, mind you, this is February nineteen sixty four. It's the most seductive lead vocal that John had delivered at, up until this time. Now he did do some nice vocals on introducing the Beatles too, some seductive vocals. But this one is exquisite. He just pulls you right in. And it's as if, oh, this is all that John Lennon and the Beatles have to do to get my attention, to get me to be a fan, to get me to love them. And that's what he's doing here. What's interesting, too, is that there's a very interesting, unique drum pattern that Ringo plays during the verses.
1: And when I
2: Which is unusual and very creative. I don't know if Ringo just came up with it on the spot or if McCartney came up with it. I don't know who came up with that drum pattern. But it is very creative. Maybe one of these days Paul will tell us. But it's a beautiful ballad and it was perfectly placed right after. It won't be long. It won't be long till I belong to you. And all I gotta do is whisper in your ear and then I'll belong to you. So it's a nice combination, really, of those two songs.
0: End of Side One is All My Loving, which is a blockbuster. It has influences by The Crystals, the Do Run Run. Dave Brubeck Quartet, the 1959 Kathy's Waltz, and Chet Atkins' guitar influence was also part of this masterpiece of All My Loving, which is amazing song that to follow up with I Want to Hold Your Hand. But at this point, the market was flooded with a lot of Beatles stuff, but this was a, a traditional release. I, I think this is a great song.
2: Yeah, well, you mentioned some of the other artists that, were supposedly that influenced Paul when he wrote this song. Again, when I heard this song when it came out and even when I hear it now, knowing that he was influenced by these other art I don't I don't hear it. I don't hear it. Not even for a nanosecond. Not for a nanosecond.
0: You don't hear a Dave Brubeck quartet in there. Is that what you're saying? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I thought he heard a boomerang corpse standing there. No, no. And, and John is really smoking. He's really cranking on that rhythm guitar. He's really strumming. But doing that triplet figure, a very fast triplet figure. And that's a great background. Truth, and, while away. and while that's going on, Paul is playing a walking bass line. Can you imagine that? That's what's going on. All my loving, I will to you. All my
1: loving, darling, I'll be true.
2: And then, yes, I do hear the country influence on George's guitar solo, right? But again, when I hear it, I just, I don't think of, Chet Atkins or anybody else, that's George Harrison playing a guitar solo with the Beatles in 1964. And straight away, I mean, listen to these lyrics. Again, teenagers, close your eyes and I'll kiss you. Close your eyes and I'll kiss you. Oh my God, what an opening lyric. I mean, how many young boys fantasized about it? Having going up to their girlfriend and meeting a girl, and she closed her eyes and then you kissed. This was really potent stuff. And the energy of this song is it's a total rocker. And then John and George do these really cool background ooze uh, uh, during the song as well. And then on the third verse, it's actually McCartney harmonizing with himself.
1: Close your eyes and I'll
2: kiss you. Tomorrow I'll miss you. Remember, I'll always be true. During, uh, during their performances, of course, it was George who harmonized with Paul. Because they did this. This was the opening number on the Ed Sullivan Show. That's how powerful this song is. Out of all the songs they could have opened with, they opened with All My Loving. That tells you something. It's an incredible song. What a way to inside one.
0: One thing I realize is that uh, how great this album is and how fast they put it together. This is just like hours in the studio. They were polished enough live that they were able to come in and knock this out. I do notice that some of the double tracking of the vocals are off a little um, but a that, little bit here and there. A yeah, little bit, yeah. It, it adds to the charm of the song. I mean, we've listened to it for 50 years, so it's. if you're being critical, the Don't Bother Me has some double tracking in there that is a little off, but it's charming. There's no, nothing negative about it. It's the first song on Side B. It's uh, George composition, and I love the wood blocks that are being played very loudly by Ringo. It, it, it kind of made it high in the mix. <laughs> ¶¶ I like how the song is, like don't bother me because my my real girlfriend's gonna be around soon, so it fits the format, but it has a little more of a negative tinge to it. but what's your thoughts on this song?
2: This is an unusual song for this album. I understand that they wanted to get George in there as a writer to let the people know, Hey, you're meeting the Beatles, okay, and yes. John and Paul are writers, but, ladies and gentlemen, so is George Harrison. And I think that that was a very important move. And at that time, this was the only song that George had. It wasn't as prolific, nearly as prolific as John and Paul. So he wrote it when he was sick in bed. And, you know, when you're sick in bed, you don't want to be bothered, that's for sure. So the title even ties in with this condition of being sick in bed. But the lyrics don't really fit in with the love, uh, positive energy, the positive messaging, and the get-up-and-dance element uh, that occurs throughout this LP. So as much as I like the song, I do like it. It's un, It doesn't fit in. It's uncharacteristic of the other songs on the album. I mean, George actually says, go away, leave me alone, don't bother me. So go away, leave me alone, don't bother me. I mean, that's a 180 degrees from you know, all my loving. Close your eyes and I'll kiss you. And I want to hold your hand. It's just the opposite. It's like, I don't know. Just get away from me. It's, it, George did this to find out if he could write a song. It was like an exercise for him. And he certainly uh, fulfilled that desire to see if he could write a song. But again, the lyrics were, listen, he, he couldn't get the girl. He couldn't have the girl that he wanted because she left him. And his attitude was like, well, you know what? I don't want anyone else. You know, she'll always be the girl for me, and I'll never be the same without her. It's it's kind of almost desperate in a way, but it's, it, there's a darkness to this song, which is George, yeah, which is George at the time.
0: It's funny because if you think about it, the lyrics... And the content of that song kind of solidifies him as the quiet, brooding guy. You know, it's just he had that label now of being, you know, quiet, sullen, brooding. Um, So it's interesting. This song just kind of fits that narrative. And so uh, that label became similar to what he was considered uh, all through the Beatle career. And in some ways he never you know, got away from that characterization. He's always been that way.
2: <laughs> well, that's interesting that you that you mentioned that. When you are when you have Paul and John as the two front men of the band, there's no room for George to be up front. You know, they let him sing some songs every now and then. You know, we'd sing "Rollover," Over Beethoven and Everybody's Trying to Be My Baby. You know, during the shows, during the live shows, you know, he would sing those songs. Yeah, if he fit in, he was he was the right personality for the band. Just as Ringo was the right personality for the band. It couldn't have been any of anyone other than those four people because the, the characters and the personalities had to work together and they did. As you said, George, that's who he was. He was more laid back. He was not as outspoken. And he was more. Uh, people say he was quiet, but I've heard many, many stories to say that he really wasn't quiet. The media coined him as the quiet beetle. And I think he kind of chuckled, and the rest of them, I think, kind of chuckled under their breath. Because supposedly, George wasn't quiet at all. Uh, he was <laughs> but,
1: not, he was yeah, certainly,
2: night. certainly. Certainly Moody, though. He was Moody, and, you know, this is is who George was. He wrote the song, so obviously this is where he was at at the time.
0: It's pretty amazing that it made it on a debut album, and now it's an iconic album. It doesn't suck. You know, it's not a bad song. It's actually pretty good. Yeah. And it fits really well kind of as the excitement of the album. I I don't think my first song would ever be on, you know, a masterpiece of an album. I don't think it could ever make it. All right, so we're going right into Little Child. Uh, I Am So Sad and Lonely Melody is from Elton Hayes, uh, Whistle My Love. Whistle
1: my love.
0: They also kind of copied off of Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas, Bad to Me, that sad and lonely part also, and this song was supposed to be a filler song for Ringo.
2: Yeah, I'm so sad and lonely is the lyrical phrase you're referring to. Those lyrics are in a song called Bad to Me. The
1: birds in the sky would be sad and lonely if they knew that I'd lost my wine. only they be sad.
2: Which was written by John and Paul and given to Billy J. Kramer. So... They were using, again, as I mentioned earlier, the way that they would use lyrics like the Yeah, Yeah in more than one song. Well, now there's an example of using uh, Sad and Lonely again because they used it in Bad to Me, which was the song that Billy J. Kramer did, which is quite interesting. Now, to go from Don't Bother Me to Little Child, wow! Uh, This is an extreme change of energy, and John's harmonica plan is outstanding. I'd have to say that this is the best track in all the Beatles' entire catalog of John doing just a fantastic harmonica. He plays a great harmonica solo. One the thing that, that I discovered in listening to this again, and I love this song, by the way, is way back in, I want to say, 62, there was someone who was a harmonica player from the States who had a huge hit. He played the harmonica. He wasn't singing at the time. He turned out to be an incredible singer. And he ended up actually working with Paul McCartney, one of Paul's solo albums. And I'm talking about Stevie Wonder. Now, Stevie Wonder had a song called Fingertips, because as we know, Stevie Wonder is blind. So Fingertips would be an appropriate title for that song. And if you're not familiar with that song, Tom, listen to the harmonica playing in that. And then listen to the harmonica solo that John plays in Little Child. I hear a real, real connection there. I'm I would say a hundred percent sure that the Beatles heard fingertips by Stevie Wonder back in sixty two. Oh, I'm sure they did. And I think that John's harmonica playing in the song especially the solo, is a manifestation of that. And it's a great song to dance to because it's got so much energy. It's, I love it. I just love this song very, very much.
0: The next song is Till There Was You, which is a cover of a song from The Music Man. It was a hit, actually, from Anita Bryant. Uh, She made it a top 40 hit in 1959. Paul liked the Peggy Lee cover. I like the fact that they put in a song that was appropriate for the the older, like the parents. If they were listening to this album, they're like, oh, he does a sweet, you know, nice rendition of Till There Was You. This is a great song, and I think Paul's vocals are fantastic. It's a departure, I think, from everything else that we've heard so far. But it shows the range that the Beatles have that they're able to kind of pull out a chestnut or um, a standard of some sort and, and put it on their album.
1: There were bells on the hill But I never heard them ringing No, I never
2: heard them at all Till there was you Yeah, I completely agree with you. It demonstrates their their musical diversity and their ability not just play rock and roll and pop. And as a matter of fact, the guitars on this. John and George are playing nylon string guitars. And George's guitar work in this song is, is outstanding. I mean, here's a guy who can pick the guitar like Carl Perkins or play the guitar like Chuck Berry. But listen to the way he plays his guitar. Until There Was You, and he plays a solo, and the solo is, it sounds classical to me. This is really uh, an extraordinary example of the Beatles showing you, okay, meet the Beatles. Well, this is part of meeting them. This is something else that they can do, ladies and gentlemen, and that's why it's on the album. And it's another reason why they performed this song on the Ed Sullivan Show, because Ryan Epstein knew that this song was going to appeal to the kids' parents. And sure enough, it was spot on. And McCartney, as you said, is, is his vocals is perfect. McCartney's vocals are absolutely perfect for this song. It was written by Meredith Wilson, and yes, it's from the musical, The Music Man. And it's a very complex song, Tom. Compared to the other songs on the album, chord-wise and melody-wise, it's quite complex. And it just rolls off their fingers, you know, just so naturally. And as a matter of fact, there's no drums on the track. Ringo plays the bongos. So it's, again, like you said, it's a departure but this is part of meeting the Beatles. This is another element as to who they are.
0: The next song is "Hold Me Tight."
2: This feels so right now. Hold me tight. Tell me I'm the only one, and then I might never be the lonely one. Right now, hold. I mean, that's what I hear when I. Well, it sounds better
0: the way you do it. I. It seems to me as oh, like. Oh, well, tight! Like these. He, well, you're, there, there's there's harmony. There's harmony going on. Yeah, because that's the chorus. Yeah, yeah. That's what Maybe like, you
2: don't like the harmony. Maybe you don't like the harmony in that. I,
0: I thought maybe he's flat, or maybe there's something going on. No, they, they
2: wouldn't do that. They they wouldn't let it go out that way. George Martin would never
0: let it go. Out yeah, that they way. they didn't have Pro Tools back then, so I was like hold me tight like the the note is it seems like it's jumping up right so it's jumping up high hold me tight like tight tight is higher yeah
2: right? it, does, it does go up it does go up yeah.
0: yeah yeah now when you do it it sounds just like smooth like butter i would buy into your version i struggle in that this song because of that like i always listen to paul jumping up for the tight part real high and it, it i can't stop thinking about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's my thought on this song. Is that it? Just, it just I always thought maybe there's something wrong with it, but if you're telling me it's not and you love it, let's talk about it.
2: Yeah, written by Paul. One of the things about this song, when you talked about the album when we first started doing this interview, is how the album is like a, a charging train with so much energy. Listen to the guitars, the guitar riffs. Nonstop. It so right not stop. Once do song starts, that guitar riff is incredible. And I'm pretty sure that's Mr. George Harrison who plays that throughout. John might be doubling it here and there, but boy, what a sound! What a sound they got on this one. And of course, they got hand claps going on. Now, and they say, uh, you, 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 you. So again, the emphasis is on you, right? Um, I want to hold your hand. You know, she loves you, even though she loves you. She's not on the album. But it's about you. They're singing to the girls. Close your eyes and I'll kiss you. You. And they keep repeating you. And then they actually say, which is, considering it was, you know, February, late January, February '64. There is a lyric in here, which I'm surprised that they, that they let it in. They kept it in. Making love to only you. Tonight, to only you so. Oh, my God. Now, you know, when you're 14, 13, 12, 15, and you hear a lyric like that, hold me tight. Making love to only you. You could imagine the images that come in mind.
0: Oh, me tight. (laughs) I I think the secret sauce of this whole album is the next song, which is, to me, crazy awesome. It's I Want to Be Your Man. It was a song that they gave away to the Rolling Stones, and they released it as a single, and it was kind of a flop. Uh, especially for the ring. No, it was
2: not a flop. it's not a flop. It was. It, it finally cracked the top twenty with this song. Well, it was their first.
0: It was their top first. Hit. Hit. Yeah. Oh. All right. Well, it was. It wasn't blowing up the charts, but I think the fact that it had a, a McCartney Lennon, you know, composition, you know, underneath the title, I think, I helped it. Do you agree? It
2: was. It, it hit number twelve in the UK, Tom. That's.
0: that's well, we're in America, good. Brooke. It's we're in America. We don't care about UK. <laughs>
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> it was never released in. The, it was never released in the U.S.
0: Oh well, then that's why it was a flop because it was never released in the U.S.
2: <laughs> it was a B-side. It was a B-side to "Not Fade Away," but yeah, yeah not really. Not much. Not that you It It's. I think it's a very exciting song, and it belongs on this album because, again, if you're going to meet the Beatles, you have to meet Ringo singing as well. So it was very important to have Ringo sing a song. Now, the original plan was that he would sing Little Child, as we talked about, but then this came round, and they thought, well, no, John will do the lead vocal on Little Child, and then they gave, I Want to Be Your Man, to Ringo to sing, and he does a great job. John considers this song, considered it, to be a throwaway, and Paul, I don't know if Paul would go that far, but I don't think Paul considers it to be one of his best songs either. But in terms of putting it on this album, it was perfectly placed. And Ringo had to sing the song, and this was the song that Ringo did sing for Meet the Beatles. And by the way, now, as I said, Before, it's predominantly the lineup in terms of instrumentation. It's the basic Beatles sound, John, rhythm guitar vocals, Paul, bass vocals, George, lead guitar vocals, Ringo, drums. But in this song, now we have an organ coming in. Uh, There was piano, by the way. I should have mentioned this. There is piano that came in on Little Child. and Paul plays a very damn good piano part on Little Child. So we're, they're starting to add just a keyboard here and there. And then on this one, it's George Martin who plays the organ, and he does a very nice job. So it's the beginning of... We're meeting the Beatles, and it's the beginning of them using some keyboards, which, as we know... They used more and more and more as their careers went on and evolved.
1: I want to be a man. 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 Tell me that you love me,
0: baby. Love that song. I think it's amazing. Now, When we talked the first time about this album, I said, not a second time, I can't remember it. I have no idea what this song is. I listened to it today, and then I looked at my notes, and I went, I still don't remember this song. But I wish this wasn't the last song. I wish they would flip it and put I Want to Be Your Man as the last song, just as this is the last song.
2: I like what you just said, that they flip it, and they would make I Want to Be Your Man the last song, and, and really big. Oh, yeah, I like that idea a lot. This, to me, is the weakest song on the album, Uh, written by John. If you listen to the very beginning, the band is not even tight. It's it's a sloppy beginning. I'm surprised that they didn't do another take or two on this song. The drum entrance comes in. It doesn't start at the beginning. It comes in like, like out of nowhere. You know you made me cry. Uh, I don't, I don't really care for this song, but there's something about this song that is very, very telling. Again, John wrote this. John is the only Beatle who could write a song like this, because this is his first threatening lyric, and John was the one who wrote threatening lyrics. Paul would never write a, a lyric like this. You know, it really is. When you listen to the lyrics, you know, he's not going to put up with it again. You know, I'm I'm not giving you the second time, you know, and it's from that perspective. It's it's a little angry. And this album, I don't think the song, I don't think the more I talk about it, I don't don't think the song should have been on the album. (laughs) They should have just ended it with I want to be your man. And that would have been it.
0: I would never put this on this album. If I, I mean, if they told me this is, you know, they have some stuff in the can or they have this or we're, we're pulling from other sources, I would have left this one off. I don't even know if I'd put it on the second album. I think it would ruin it.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. I'm so glad that we could meet the Beatles again and again. And it's so wonderful to be doing this series talking about all the albums that the Beatles, uh, that their albums were released here in the U.S. because, as we know, in the beginning especially, but you know what I'm saying is that in the beginning, the releases in the U.K. were different. But we're talking about the U.S. releases because we are in the U.S. and when these albums came out, I was in the U.S. and so were millions of other people and some of our listeners too. So that's our connection with it. And that's why we're talking about the U.S. releases and not the U.K. releases.
0: Exactly. This album debuted at number one, which was unheard of at the time. It went five times platinum, which is unheard of at the time. It is ranked the 53rd best album of all time for Rolling Stone in their 500 greatest hits. It
2: was number one for 11 consecutive weeks. How about that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And behind it was uh, Introducing the Beatles, and then the second album came out, and... That's what we're gonna talk about going forward. What's your thoughts about the second album before we
2: Oh, I, I can I, I can't say anything about the second album now, Tom, All right. now, so, now. Let's save it. Yeah, save it. So we got a teaser. Yeah.
0: Everyone please continue to listen to us as we talk about the Beatles Come to America.
1: The Beatles come to America. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Enjoy that original Brookhaven composition. It's called Free Again.
1: Even though it is quite dark And you cannot find the light Eventually the sun will shine Whoa. Again que... of episode.